0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by Goff, who's the first legally blind person to write, produce, direct, edit, and act in a full-length feature film, plus he has a media production company called Nuts Productions. Now in this chat, me and Goff talk about some of Goff's favourite comedy shows, um, some of his influences, why he started up Nuts, um, how he actually lost his eyesight and some of the issues that arise with not only being an indie director, but also with being blind and how that sort of works in the media production side. He also talks about the comedy stylings of Australia, how everyone's got a talent, um, some of his other work that he's done, including his stand-up career, some of his other releases on Bear Nuts Productions, and much, much more. Now, this is part one of the chat, so part two will be out next week at the same time, where the chat will continue on the same sort of lines it was on in this chat. Now, before the chat gets started, there's a promo for the Devil's Mischief podcast, which is a podcast on a radio network called Radio Free Satan. Now, Radio Free Satan hosts several podcasts, um, all of which are associated in some way with the Church of Satan. Now, that sounds a bit odd, and I know that kind of does sound a bit strange coming on this show, but the Church of Satan is not exactly what you'd think it's going to be. And in actual fact, um, I believe in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to be releasing the episodes of the podcast I've done, I've actually spoken to a magister at the Church of Satan. So, you can listen to that promo, check out his podcast, and then also, if you want to sort of delve into more of the religion and the Church of Satan as a whole, um, there's a podcast coming up soon to talk about that. Anyway, on to the show. So, you know, as always, guys, be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I'll be back at the end of this chat to give more information on part two and other things coming up. So, as always, guys, thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back at the end. The rich came up to me and said they want to get in the kingdom of heaven. I said, well, it was easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven. That was pretty surreal of you. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd been smoking a bit that day. But the rich, they got huge blenders and put camels into them, and they made them into liquid camel, and then they squirted them with very fine jets through the eyes of needles. So they're all coming up now.
1: My name is Reverend Bill M., and if you like religion-bashing laughter and other comedy that's not made for the masses, then check out The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com for more details. The Devil's Mischief, carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers available on Radio Free Satan.
0: Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton.
1: I'm, I'm genuinely interested to hear about the Book of Mormon, did you enjoy it?
0: <laughs> yes, I did. I thought Book of Mormon was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm a massive fan of uh, South Park and things, and the guys who uh, do that. I loved Team America as well, one of their other movies. Yeah. So yeah, I thought Book of Mormon was fantastic. I mean, the music is great, the humour is just on point. It is, it is absolutely wonderful. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of musicals in general. Um, I've seen I saw Wicked live with my girlfriend a few months ago, but apart from that, I haven't really seen that many. I'm not the hugest fan of uh, musicals in film and stuff, but mccorn was absolutely fantastic.
1: Cool, man. Cool. No, well, yeah, like I said, it hasn't been out to Australia, so uh, when tickets went on sale for them, because I've only got a three-week season in Brisbane, so I had to book like the day they went on sale. So, uh, and I'm the same as you, man. I, I don't go. Musicals aren't really my bag, so I usually I don't really go. So, yeah, it was. Uh, it'll be a new experience for me as well, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it because I'm like same as you i i really enjoy team america i thought was really really funny and i've always enjoyed south park so mm. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it very much so i'm glad uh, i'm glad i've never heard anybody give it a negative review so i'm glad uh, i can add you to the list so cool,
0: very <laughs> definitely cool. yeah i feel the same i mean I, all the people i spoke to saw it before me i mean it's been out now for many years and it's been playing in england for several years and i remember um okay. A few years ago, there was a uh, someone I knew who was like, uh, it was one of my friend's like, aunties or something, and she's quite uh, prudish. And then she was, like, oh yeah, I love *Book of Mormon*, and I was like, it's maybe people make *South Park*, and she's like, no, no, I hate *South Park*. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't really understand that. But you watch it and you go, oh, I can see they've just managed to hit the nail on the head, and they've basically got widespread audience uh, enjoyment. And anyone who likes the *South Park* humour, anyone who likes sort of musical humour, they seem to have just hit every nail on the head. I, I can't almost fault it really.
1: I, I, uh, because I'm a nerd, I Wikipedia it up after I got my ticket because and uh, it's made like something like nine hundred million dollars worldwide. I mean, it's it's just it's a phenomenon. It's been translated into like five or six languages. It's just uh, yeah, it's just massive. So, uh, yeah, but it's never been to Australia. So this is the first time it's been out here. So it's the first opportunity I've had to uh, watch it
0: yeah that must be one of the things that's a bit of a shame of being uh, sort of in australia i mean you've got obviously loads of great things about the country but i'm aware that there's a lot of things that take quite a while to get to yourselves obviously america's normally the forefront and then usually britain's kind of close japan often gets quite a few things as well like film wise but i know that like australia you guys have got uh, different things when it comes to censorship and that sort of stuff as well don't you
1: yeah yeah well on the touring front like when it comes to bands and stuff you often see they do like a european tour and then they'll probably hit Japan maybe one other place in Asia and that's it so sometimes they don't even come come out to Australia like uh, i've seen oasis a few times live but many times with oasis they used to uh, they used to stop in Japan and not go any further they've only been to Australia like they've been to Australia 3 times and i saw them all 3 times so uh, but yeah i mean that's 3 times in their like 20 years that they were together so you know what i mean it's uh, we don't uh, we don't get a lot of uh, yeah it is a shame that way people because it's expensive for them to bring all their shit out here. They don't, uh, they tend to, uh, Forget about us sometimes.
0: Mm, yeah, I can understand that. There's a lot of bands that I like are, that are um, I like basically every genre of music essentially, but like including like heavy metal and that sort of thing. And I know that a lot of those bands are like in America, and a lot of the smaller bands they can't even afford to travel to like England. And then you think like going to Australia as well was just like because England you can kind of say okay well, we'll go to England and then we'll kind of follow up with Europe with Australia where it's quite away from everything. It is as you say not as financially viable.
1: Yeah. Well. I mean I mean just as an example I'm not a fan but I know that in Brisbane tonight uh, Phil Collins is playing Suncorp Stadium and it's the first time he's been out here in 23 years oh, so wow. I mean he's filled Suncorp Stadium which I didn't think he'd be able to do but he has so I mean that holds 50,000 people so but I mean I, I suppose if you haven't been here in 23 years you've got a lot of people like that want to see you so yeah so mm. it's yeah, it's uh, it's great. But no, I'm I'm really excited about watching Book of Mormon. I think it'll be. Uh, I've got to wait till April, but it'll be uh, very cool.
0: Oh yeah, I definitely. Uh, when you watch it, send me an email or something. Let me know what you uh, think of it. It'll be really cool to hear your opinion. I'm sure you'll love it Ed, as well.
1: Yeah, no, no, I, I I'm genuinely excited because I don't usually uh, go to musicals like you. So it'll be uh, it'll be a new experience, and obviously it's going to be something I'm pretty sure I'm going to really enjoy. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, very excited.
0: The music is fantastic as well, uh, which is not surprising because obviously in uh, this Team America and in the South Park movie and in certain episodes of South Park, this just the, the guys who make it are just so talented they can just do anything. Yes.
1: I, I, t- I tell you what was funny very quickly. When I called up to get the tickets, so they went on sale, so I've, I've called up like that morning, and I've got this real grouchy woman that answered the phone, uh, and I'm like, you know, I need to be down the front because I can't see very well, so I need to be sort of front row centre kind of thing. And she goes, huh, good luck with that. Oh like, wow! No need for that kind of an attitude. Let's just <laughs> calm the farm.
0: <laughs> you know? Oh man! I'm
1: like, well, why don't we go through the nights that it's on and we'll see what we can figure out? And she's like, oh, okay, then. So so we went through, and sure enough, we got uh, I got like killer seats, so uh, it was all, it's all cool. But uh, they were pretty much sold out within the day, so I was lucky to get uh, the tickets that I got. So yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I I definitely look forward to hearing your uh, your opinion of all that. Well, um, cool. Well, I'll just say we'll get started now. So, I am joined today by Goff. Um, Now, well, it's uh, speaking with you, uh, Goff, over sort of emails and a few a little conversation we had before sort of recording. um, You are (laughs) you're an inspiration, essentially. Um, Not to put that lightly. I mean, people who haven't heard of you and don't know what you get up to and things. what do you do? What do you uh, drop the bomb of what makes you such a special director and everything else you do?
1: Oh well, well, firstly, thank you for having me on the show, Mike. I really do appreciate it. And yes, I uh, I make movies, as uh, as you alluded to. So uh, I, I run a film production company called Beer Nuts Productions, and uh, we've done sixteen films. Uh, most of them are comedy based. Uh, most of them are short films, but also we've got. A feature in there as well a documentary and stuff so there's a, a range of different uh, different films but most are comedy based and and yeah I'm a, a legally blind filmmaker which uh, makes me a little bit uh bit different and makes the the way I go about making my films obviously uh, a bit different as well so uh, yeah yeah absolutely
0: yeah and so um, may I ask um first of all with um you being legally blind um has that was that a thing since birth or was that did something uh, happen to you that caused that
1: Yeah, so I I lost my eyesight when I was a few weeks old through the whooping cough immunization. So uh, I'm pretty sure you're about 12 weeks old when you get the uh, whooping cough jab. And so uh, I had a a reaction which led to a hemorrhagic stroke, which is sort of like a brain hemorrhage kind of stroke kind of situation. So uh, obviously I was uh, very ill uh, and... um, yeah, the uh, the lingering effect from it was uh, that I lost uh, my eyesight pretty much, or most of my eyesight. I can still see a little bit out of the left eye, but uh, but yeah, so that that was how I lost my eyesight.
0: Oh wow, that's uh, that's very intense, and it's uh, you know people who are hearing that might be kind of like uh, shocked uh, of that sort of obviously how grounded that is and how uh, unfortunate that may be, but obviously with yourself what you've done with your life and a lot of the uh, work that you've put out obviously you mentioned you uh, released a, a feature film documentary but also a lot of the things from uh, Bearnuts, uh primarily seems to be comedy um, based isn't it is that it I, m- I imagine that when when having something like that sort of happened to you comedy must have been one of those things that kind of really helped you get through it in a sense helped you not focus w- too much time dwelling i would suppose
1: well uh you know, going back, I was only 12 weeks old, so I don't really yeah. have memory of the incident, obviously. So, uh, so, and that that's the, one of the frustrating things for me is when people, because, uh, and I know they're just being curious, so I'm not at all offended, but when people say to me, you know, so what can you see? Well, I've never been able to see normally, so to speak. So I actually can't answer that question because all I know is what I have always been able to see, if that makes sense. So, I, I can't really compare it to a normal normal person's eyesight because I just simply don't know. So to me, my eyesight is normal. So I just, uh, yeah, so, so I, I just do what I do. And to me, that's normal, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Um, but, uh, in regards to my love of comedy, because you are right, most of the things on the website are comedy based. Uh, I'm just, uh, ever since I was young, I've been a real comedy nerd. So I've just always sort of uh, British comedy when I I was younger. So, you know, I I wasn't able to go out and maybe play sport and stuff like the other kids were. So I would sit at home and watch Monty Python and stuff like that when I was Mm. like eight years old, which is probably rather inappropriate, but there wasn't a lot of (laughs) supervision when I was a young fella. So I could do things like that. So, yeah, I was watching... The old British comedians like Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and, and all that sort of stuff when I was young and and all that kind of stuff and then obviously uh, my comedy horizons uh, grew and uh, yeah I've just always been a massive lover of all things hilarious so uh, yeah that's pretty much it, ever since I was a kid
0: yeah well I, i'm glad you uh, dropped monty python is this because i absolutely love monty python um i think some of their movies uh, life of brian and holy grail are absolutely phenomenal and a lot of their um their sketches from the shows are hilarious but they've got like four seasons and the first two seasons are gold and then the further you get on it goes a bit off the rails but well like what's some of your favorite uh, monty python sketches out of interest
1: well uh i i, I... In regards to the films, uh, Life of Brian has to be my favourite. I absolutely mm. love Life of Brian. I think it's incredible. Just like, uh, I, I mean, you take the ending. I'm not spoiling, and I think everybody's seen it. Yeah, yeah. You take the ending of a guy being on a cross, singing a song of "Always look on the bright side of life" as he's being nailed to a cross. It's just, it's pure genius. You know, it's just, it's next level, isn't it? And then oh, in yeah. regards to the, in regards to the sketches, I mean. The the sillier the sketches, the more I I tend to like them. So things like you know the what is it the 100 meters for people with no sense of direction. So (laughs) you know you know full well that when he fires the gun, they're all gonna scatter. You know that's gonna happen, but for some reason it's just that's what makes great comedy great. For some reason you still laugh. And like the the marathon for people with incontinence, I mean, (laughs) you know, they keep ducking behind trees and whatnot. And and it's just, it's, it's just so, it's so clever. But I, I actually saw Eric Idle was actually in Australia doing a speaking tour recently. And he said something which I never thought about, but he's absolutely correct. And he says, the reason why Monty Python sketches don't date like other sketches do is because it's nonsense. And nonsense is nonsense, whether it was done 100 years ago or yesterday. Nonsense will always be nonsense. It's not political satire. It doesn't date like satire does. It doesn't date like uh, like other television programs or movies you might watch because it's just silly. And silly is silly no matter where you are and what time it is. And, and he, I think he's absolutely spot on. And I've never thought of it like that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's why you see uh, fans of monty python today just as strong as they were like back in the 70s before you and i were even thought of you know so
0: yeah mm, yeah that's that's a very good point i hadn't thought about that either but he is right like i've on the odd occasion you know uh, gone back and watched a couple of the older ones and obviously the audio quality and the video quality if one is to be a stickler about it isn't as obviously uh, great as it is today but that's really the only point of contesting of it like the rest of it is still on point the humor is it's just fantastic and uh, with uh, if we get on to work. See, see, go ahead, you,
1: you, raise an, you raise another really really good point because Simon, who's my right hand man when we're making the films, I say to him because obviously my budgets, I don't have million dollar budgets to make my films, and I say to Simon, look, the audience can forgive a lot of things. So, and the same goes with what you were saying with Python; they can forgive the fact that maybe the lighting isn't spot on, or maybe you know the, the sound I- I- isn't. Absolutely, it's ninety nine percent there, but it's not a hundred. They can, the audience can forgive a lot of things. The shot might not be framed perfectly, but that there's certain things that an audience just can never forgive, and that's things like a bad script, a bad acting, bad directing. Those those key things an audience just can't forgive, and, and casting, bad casting is something they can't forgive. So, when when I'm making my films, it's really important to me to focus on the things that. Uh, uh, ultra ultra important and then obviously the other little bits and things because we don't have the same kind of budgets that hollywood you know big budget films have well you know what it's the best we can do with the budget that we've got and the same with python i mean you can tell that those sketches in the television show were made with no money i mean it's pretty obvious uh, but they're still hilarious because you can forgive the fact that you know you the shot's not framed or the makeup's not perfect and stuff like that. You can forgive all of that because the scripts are so brilliant. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you there. And, um, I listened to a podcast, um, you did actually, uh, with, I think it was indie film hustle. Um, so right. I listened to that to get a little bit more uh, background information from yourself as well as, uh, you know, li- uh, uh, looking up on beer nuts and things. And, um, one thing that I kind of got from your conversation with him, obviously we'll touch on a few of the subjects that were spoken about there as well. Cause there's a lot of things that are very interesting there. Um, one thing that I kind of thought of was obviously, yeah, where you are, um, limited in this way of, you don't have such a budget. Like if you uh, wanted to do, I know that one of your promos, you've got the explosion in it. Uh, and I watched that and that was, uh, that was really great. And, you don't have enough money to do like a hundred explosions. You've got enough for this one and you really have to hit the nail on the head in a sense. And I feel like with a uh, sort of limitation, it kind of breeds innovation in a way when you've got this big idea in your head. And I know you said that you kind of plan things out. And then when you get down to actually thinking, okay, how are we practically going to do this? Maybe i need to change this. Maybe a slight change in this uh, location, these sorts of things. I'm aware that you can kind of with that in mind, you just, you can make your own way, and sometimes I can make things funnier or even better if you have to kind of work your way around it rather than getting every single thing uh, exactly how you want it from the get go. So I wanted to talk to you, asking you sort of about that and the sort of creative process.
1: Absolutely, you're a hundred percent right. Because I mean, I did a film, uh, the environment, the Un- uh, what was it? The environment, the real truth, uh, which is a mockumentary about the environment that I did. And there's a scientist in it. so originally I had that scene set in a science lab. Now I wasn't able to get a science lab. I contacted all the universities and stuff and they just would not let me film because they're jerks. <laughs> so I'm like, well, wh- where am I gonna film this scene you know because I need something that's kind of sciencey. So I thought, well, I know a brewery. So I contacted a local brewery that was actually uh, – people who are fans of surfing would know Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson, two of Australia's number one surfers, professional surfers, and they had some spare coin. And so they thought, what are we going to do? I know. We'll start a brewing company. So they did, and it's not far from where I live. And so I contacted the brewing company, and I said, could we film there? And they were the most obliging people you've ever met. They were super cool. And so they're like, yeah, no worries. So if you shoot a brewery at certain angles, it looks like a science lab. And then because of that, I could add an extra joke about at the end that we're in a brewery, which I mean, we're the, to, so the scientist turns out to be a raging alcoholic, which was never <laughs> part of the actual script, but it made it funnier. So the fact that we weren't able to, so in a way, it, I'm pleased that the universities and so forth were jerks because it made it funnier because I, I shot in a brewery and and we were able to add an extra couple of gags at the end of that particular scene that weren't there in the original script. So yeah. And in regards to the explosion uh, video that you were, uh, that you said, so again, same sort of thing. So I contacted a few special, cause that's a real explosion. A lot of people think that's a special effect. That's an absolutely 100% real explosion. So I contacted a bunch of special effects guys and it's actually a, uh, a fireworks company that does the big fireworks displays all around Queensland where I live, and they've got the massive piece of land out in the sticks because obviously, again, I needed somebody who owned lots of land because of workplace health and safety and all of those sorts of things. We just can't do an explosion in the suburbs. So uh, I had to find the right people to do that, and then I just went to my local camping supply warehouse and said to them I need to buy a couple of tents and he's like, oh, we've got these great ones over here. They're fully insulated for like, you know, $100. I said, buddy, I'm from Nuts Productions. We're going to blow them up in a, <laughs> in a film we're doing. And he's like, I've got some $30 tents over here. I said, sold. So I got, <laughs> I got two tents. So we had two chances to get it right. And, and yeah, so the first one we did, uh, the charge of the explosion, we decided wasn't big enough. So... The second take is the one that people see. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's just about, uh, I mean, we, we just go out and buy a couple of cheap tents and you film it the way you need to film it and spend the money on what you need to actually, what's important to spend it on. And, uh, yeah, like you say, just be uh, clever and creative in, in what you do with the budget that you've got.
0: Mm, and it's almost like um sort of like exercising in a way like exercising your own mind it is that sort of way of trying to figure out and problem solve with sort of budgeting and things so it must be very helpful uh, in other facets as well being able to sort of have that um sort of malleability being able to not be so married to your ideas being like this has to be exactly this 100% it's as you see with the brewery thing it kind of allows you to be a bit more uh, creative and changing things
1: yeah well uh, you've got no choice so when, when you don't have a budget of $100 million, you have no choice but to uh, – so I, I've got scripts written, so when it's time for me to make my next film, I look at the scripts that I've got and I go through them all and I think to myself, okay, what's doable? Okay, those two scripts are doable. What changes would I need to make, if any? And so I go through it and I'm like, okay, well, there's no way I could do that particular stunt because it's just going to be way too expensive – but how else can I make that joke work? And so I do a bit of rewriting on that joke. And then all of a sudden, bang, I can, so for example, one of the other films we've done, uh, is a mockumentary on the fitness industry called a day in the life of a personal trainer, taking the piss out of personal trainers, basically. And so in the original script, there were a couple of stunts in there, which just weren't going to be viable to do. So I just had to take them out and, uh, we just re I just reworked the script a little bit. And, uh, and, and made it happen so yeah you, you just need to uh, yeah like you say you, you just got to be a bit flexible and you can't be so uh stuck in your ways that you know because and, and that's the other thing too I mean sometimes like I said with the brewery thing with the environment film it actually made it so we could actually add a couple of jokes so it actually made it better so mm. so uh, there's actually a, a, a guy uh, who was a bit of a mentor of mine when I was a lot younger I remember saying to him he was, a, he was a well-known Australian script writer, and I, I remember sending him an email one day after he'd read one of my scripts, and he, he told me all the things that were crap about it, and he <laughs> said, you know, these are all the edits you need to make on it and stuff. And I, I emailed him back, and I was only about 19 at the time, and I'm like, oh, I hate editing scripts. I mean, it's so – he said, no, you've got the wrong attitude. He said, editing should be a wonderful thing to do because you're making it better. You're improving it. So you should be excited and enthusiastic about editing your scripts because you're actually improving your work. So and when you think about it, he's 100 percent right. So, yeah, I, you just got to look at it with the right frame of mind As if you can't do a joke for a certain reason, then you can make the script better by changing it to something even better than it currently was. So that's the attitude you need to adopt
0: yeah precisely and that's a, that's a very good way to go about it um and one of the things i was going to say is um uh, you kindly sent me the uh, prostitution the untold story video uh so well, a short film so I, uh, I watched that the other night and i thought it was hilarious. and um one of the things um I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about the british comedy as well um from when you were younger especially because i did get that sort of that vibe i was going to ask you about your influences because i did get that sort of they're more British uh, as opposed to like American humor and British humor there. They're quite different. I do find certain American humor quite funny, but obviously I'm English. So I generally do prefer uh, British humor. And I found that are you a fan of like, um, the office or anything like extras or any of the Ricky Gervais sort of things.
1: I was never huge on Ricky Gervais. Funnily enough. I I liked extras. I thought extras was really funny, but I never got into the office. I, I'm one of, I'm like the only person who didn't find it funny. I just didn't dig it for some reason, but, um, Uh, in regards, see, in Australia, we sort of get uh, both. We get both the American and the English humour together. So I suppose in a way, uh, if I was to categorise it with myself, I I guess I sort of lean more 60% to the English and 40% to the British in the way, like, I mean, Australia in general and me as well, uh, the way way we do our comedy is probably more 60-40 in regards to British and American if we were to if we were to, to put it into it, that sort of term, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I'm a little bit like you, I suppose. I have always found the, the British comedians to be a lot funnier in generally speaking, obviously than the American comedians, though, in saying that, like, again, uh, when I was a young fella, there wasn't a lot of supervision. So I remember going and watching like Wayne's world when it came out in the cinema and stuff like that. When I was only, you know, I would have only been 11 or 12 and, uh, and see Mike Myers I think he was because obviously his dad is English. I think that's why I liked it so much because it, it had a lot of English influence in it but it was also quite American as well so it had a nice a nice little mix going on in there and I think that's uh I, I sort of I guess aim a little bit that sort of way if that makes sense
0: mm, yeah well I can see that yeah I mean with you what you said about um <clears throat> oh sorry. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah. What you said about uh, sort of the, the British and comedy and the American comedy mix. I can, uh, I can totally get that. And with the extras, the office thing uh, with Ricky Gervais, I, I like Offit, The Office, as in I think it's clever and it did a lot for comedy and there wasn't really much out that was like that. But I can't really watch loads of it and I've never found it that hilarious. But extras, I did find a lot more funny. Um, yeah. But I'm not the the hugest, hugest fan of Ricky Gervais. I think he is funny and he's got a lot of uh, he's done some real great things for comedy. But yeah, I'm kind of uh, more in the same boat as you in that sort of regard. And going back to prostitution, uh, The Untold Story, I I did really like the. It, it does have that. Universal appeal, almost, of comedy where there's enough for sort of everything in there. You've got the script is brilliant. You know, uh, I won't obviously spoil what happens in the whole thing, but there is one point where um, someone calls someone else a fuck muppet, and I just <laughs> cracked up. Like as soon as so I just shout yells at someone I got him a fuck muppet, and I just cracked up. That was absolutely brilliant. And that whole scene that that happens in, I just thought was really good. And it, you've got you've got the right amount of sort of the different mix of humors because where it's like a mockumentary, you've got like. The subtle uh, sort of nodding to the fact it's a it's a documentary. Well, also you've got the subtleties in the little clever little jokes in the script, with also the obvious sort of visual humor and things. Uh, like there's one part where you're speaking to a doctor in his office, and there's a visual joke there, which I won't spoil. So I do like that, especially with that movie. There's a sort of you watch it, and it's it's only a short film, so I think it was a twenty or so minutes, but it, it kind of brushes past every. Bit of humour, every part of comedy. So I think that it would really—it's got that universal appeal to it.
1: Well, I, I purposely, whenever I write a script, doesn't matter what it is, I always make sure that it, it has. A, because I mean, I, I release the stuff directly through my website for people—the Beanuts Productions website for people to download. So it's available whether you live in Finland, America, in in Blackpool, or in Australia. It doesn't matter where you live. I want it to appeal to everybody. So, in all of my scripts, I purposely never mention names of towns. I purposely never mention things that are uh, colloquial in any kind of way. It always, so basically, I could be any town USA type situation, you know, and I do that on purpose because I want it to appeal to anybody and everybody i don't want it to be like so australian that people outside of australia aren't going to understand the jokes and all of that sort of stuff it it, it can't be like that because it then restricts my audience i need it to be uh universally uh, enjoyed so that people no matter where they live or who they are can can enjoy uh, can enjoy my work
0: yeah well that's a real great um <clears throat> That's a really great way of looking at it. Um, I hadn't even considered that, but I suppose that is a that is a part of it. Obviously, America kind of runs the sort of the media in a, in a lot of ways when it comes to uh, releasing things, and obviously, so everyone kind of knows about America. Everyone knows about you know American politics and Donald Trump and things. And then you kind of zoom out a bit, and then like Britain and Brexit and that sort of thing is kind of known, but not as much. And then when you go to like Australia's political system, I don't really know much about it at all. Um, I know little well, bits that's and pieces. For the best. <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit about. T- uh, Tony Abbott I think and that's about as far as it goes um so like with that in mind that is a very good thing of having it so it's not just local humor you can kind of break the masses and things um we'll,
1: well see in in the prostitute so so when uh, the, I've done a few mockumentaries and I always make sure I pick subjects that again are universal and also that are universally uh, sensitive so I've done or or not so much sensitive but people have strong opinions on so I mean, I've done The War on Drugs, which is something that people, no matter where they live, probably have an opinion on one way or the other. I've done Prostitution is obviously the latest film that we did. And so, like, I mean, prostitution is quite a controversial subject. I've done like The Environment, which people get really heated up about. So it's important that when I do a mockumentary, again, it's got to be a subject that no matter where you live or who you are you know, you've got knowledge of this particular subject. It can't be something that people go, oh, I don't know what that is, I don't know what that means, because then it, all of a sudden it restricts my audience. And like I say, you know, I, I release the stuff online for people to download, so my audience is the world, so the world needs to be able to understand it, you know? So a- absolutely 100%. And yeah, it, it also, just going back to a point you made earlier about uh, the the prostitution film, I also besides obviously making fun of the subject of prostitution, I also because I despise those current affairs, uh, you know, 60 minutes type TV shows. So I also wanted to make sure that I was taking the piss out of that sort of style of, uh, of television making as well, because uh, I think the media uh, get a bit of a drive by in that film as well, which uh, was also important to me when I was making it.
0: Mm, i agree i I feel like with um with prostitution you kind of uh in similar to one of the reasons i really admire south park is that they take the mick out of everyone quite evenly so there's not like they're trying to attack anyone specifically and i found with prostitution you kind of you made sort of the jokes about being a prostitute you made jokes about people who use uh, prostitutes you made jokes about people against them you made jokes about the media you you kind of it's not like oh let's just attack this one thing and make jokes about it constantly it was no matter what your almost political alignment is regarding your opinion on prostitution, it mocks every aspect. So your own political entanglements don't affect it.
1: And again, that's really important to me. So I'm a firm believer in whatever, when I'm, when I'm making a mockumentary, it doesn't matter whether you're left or right wing, doesn't matter what you believe. It's important to me that I make fun of everything equally. Everyone's got to get their fair whack because I'm not here to, uh, lecture people. I'm here to entertain people. So it's important that I, I, I give everybody an equal an equal serve. You know, I can't just make fun of one person or one side of the argument. I've got to make fun of everybody equally. And that's I'm glad you said that because that, that's something that I'm, I'm really focused on when I write my scripts is that everybody cops their fair whack. And so, yeah, in every script I do of, of this nature, that's 100 fourth in, in my mind
0: that's good and while we're on the subject won't you um won't we plug some of your uh, some of the details of being nuts so you can do your social media and the, the site we'll do it again at the end and i'll include in the description but while we're in the middle of the podcast people can't escape it so plug away my friend <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well absolutely so if people do want to uh, check out uh, prostitution the untold story or any of our other films we've also got audio downloads uh up there as well so we've got uh, eight audio downloads that people there's sort of comedy sketches that go for about 20 minutes and also there's a couple of books but there's 16 different films as well that people can watch and everything is downloadable straight off the Beer Nuts productions website so you just go to beernutsproductions.com and you just click through the website and you can uh, download uh, to your heart's content download uh, whatever you want we've got trailers and all that so people can uh, can get a bit of a look of uh, what they, uh, what they like and uh, yeah, just uh, download some of our, our great work. And also it's important that people also know that we're fully independent. So there's no third party involvement at all. So there's nobody over my shoulder telling me what I can and can't do. And also there's nobody over my shoulder taking 10% or anything like that. So everything that, uh, that gets downloaded it is purely independent and it's uh yeah every, we're a production and distributing company as well so just beernutsproductions.com is where people need to go and uh hit up our stuff and obviously we're all over the social media so facebook instagram twitter youtube just type in productions, and uh and we come up so uh, yeah people can uh, jump on and enjoy and hopefully uh, get a laugh out of uh, out of what we do
0: yeah i mean that's a that's a definitely a a great pitch. And I was just going to say, I, um, I made a few notes of some of the films that you've got on there as well. Um, so just to list a couple off. So people, if they go on there, if they sound interested, they can check out the trailers, as you said, or they can uh, buy the films and uh, they're not, uh, like unreasonably unreasonably priced at all they're very affordable so it's like a a nice thing in that regard but i'm just going to say obviously the most recent one we spoke of was prostitution untold story and then some of the other ones was the personal trainer one that you mentioned the environment one that you mentioned war on drugs there's a pornography one i you know, an advertising meeting one there's one called small mercies i was curious what that was about because well, i
1: that, didn't that, that one yeah that that one's probably uh i've done two sort of more dramatic ones and small mercies is more of a dramatic piece than a comedy piece. So, uh, yeah, that, that one sort of takes you through. Uh, a, a young woman is having pretty much the worst day of her life. And so we sort of uh, see the uh, uh, the demise of this poor woman's uh, world come crashing down around her. So, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that one's a bit more of a dramatic kind of a piece, that one, The Small Mercies. But Jackie Story, who plays the lead character in that, she absolutely crushes it. She's a... She's a huge talent here in Australia and uh, I was so thrilled that she came on board because she absolutely just hammered that particular film. I was really, really thrilled with what she did for that one.
0: That's wonderful. And then uh, I think the last one I've got noted here was uh, the documentary you made. And am I right to say that this um, is actually free to download off your website? Um, I will not go quietly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That one's free because uh, again, it's probably the only serious film that I've done. It's uh, because it's a documentary on disability and mental health. So I think they're two subjects that uh, uh, deserve more attention in the community. So I thought if I make that one free, that way it, it's totally accessible to absolutely everybody. There's no excuse for people not watch that film because it couldn't be more accessible because you just click on a button and it starts downloading. So, I mean, it literally could not be easier to watch. So I did that one for free on purpose for that exact reason so that people could, uh, could watch it and hopefully – Uh, learn a bit about disability and mental health because it's mainly for people who don't have uh, a disability so they can get uh, a bit more education on those two very important subjects.
0: Yeah, well, that sounds like um, that's that's a great uh, plug for all of that sort of thing because it's it shows that you know you've got your comedy and you've got that for entertainment and things, but for the more sort of educational and for people who want to kind of uh, learn more about those things, so you're not putting any restrictions on that, which is a really good not only a business model for Beer Nuts and sort of your company as well, but it's also very good uh, morally and ethically to do. Um, am, am I right in saying um, was the documentary the first thing that you sort of uh, did as Beer Nuts Productions? Was that kind of the uh, the jumping off point?
1: Yeah, yeah, so basically how, how sort of Nuts Productions came into being was I, I started the company back in 2006, and so for the first four years I was, uh, you know, pitching scripts to, you know, networks, production companies, distributors, and not just in Australia, I mean all over the world, like every corner of the globe. I was, you know, I, I was hammering it really, really hard, and, and it occurred to me after about four years of doing this is that the people were rejecting my work, but they were only ever rejecting it when they found out I couldn't see properly. So I thought, well, the best way to show people that I can actually do what it is I say I can do is to actually make a film 100% by myself. So there's no other hands that have touched that film. I, I film it myself, I edit it myself, I, I star in it, obviously, uh, and uh, yeah, produced it myself, wrote it myself, directed it myself, thought, it's all me. So, and hopefully that it's a 90 minute documentary. So, and it did get cinema play out here in Australia. So hopefully that shows people that, you know, I can actually do what it is I said I can do. And then I put that on the website and it got a great reaction. And so I thought, well, you know what, I'm just going to continue going and continue just releasing my own work through my website. And, you know, Screw the other people. They they had their chance to jump on the Beer Nuts Productions bandwagon and they miss out. So uh, I'm going to make my work and I'm going to you know fund it myself and produce it myself and and yeah. So in the past eight years, because that was 2010, we did the documentary. And so in the past eight years, we've I've uh, managed to do 16 films and eight audio downloads and five books. So uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's been really really good. And like I say, just uh, all independent, all funded through the website. So that's why, obviously, I'm so keen for people to hit up the website and enjoy what we do so that we can continue doing what we do
0: yeah and it's great to hear how sort of motivated you are and it's it's you some of the best directors and some of the best just uh individuals who add to media in any sort of facet um one thing to notice with them is their drive and they have always had that thing of like when they were younger someone told them they couldn't do it or there was some sort of uh, financial constraints or anything like this but they were just like no i know that this is what i want to do and regardless of what anyone else thinks or anyone else says i'm going to do this and i'm going to push through it and that's exactly what you've done and it's, it's very very admirable not only because obviously if you're with well, yourself being legally blind which is an incredible feat in itself of doing all these things but also even if you weren't it would still be a huge feat for to you to start up your own production company create like a full feature documentary and then several other short films after that as well as all the other parts on the site of the books and the uh i think there's a, the interviews sort of the uh the video interviews on there as well, as well as the audio things. So it's just like, there's so many parts to it that you do. And then just that by itself would be incredibly inspirational. And then the cherry on the top is, Oh, also he's legally blind. So there's really, it's really like no excuse for anyone to not do it. You're truly an inspirational story.
1: Well, well, I firmly believe that everybody on this planet has some kind of a gift. I mean, you can put somebody in a kitchen and they just know that that flavor goes with that flavor. And all of a sudden they've got this incredible meal. They just, they, they, they instinctively know that, you know, everybody has got a gift or, or some fellas can just open the hood of a car. And all of a sudden they know that that clicks in with that and bang, the engine's going to go, you know, some people, everyone's got a gift and everybody's got a talent. And so it's important. I believe that when you find out what that is, is that you don't waste it and you you utilize it and you and you do it to the best of your absolute ability. So and I believe that that my talent in that I was given in this world was was writing and filmmaking. So that's what I, I believe I'm good at doing and what I want to do and so that's what I'm going to do. So I mean I I can't do much else, let me tell you. I can't cook or, or drive a car. So I mean, it's 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 a good thing I can make films. You know what I mean? So that's uh, that's what I can do. So that that's what I, I I'm I need to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's a real good way of having it. I mean, I'm kind of in the uh, similar mindset of. I mean, I can't really cook, and um, I can drive uh, to a degree, but I'm not some sort of like car nut i don't really know anything under the uh, under the bonnet or anything like that but my sort of only forte is i've always just kind of been good at chatting with people and that's yeah. it just, so i'm like well do a podcast why not you know see where it goes and one thing well, i say to people
1: absolutely man absolutely because every, everybody's got a talent i don't care what it is i mean some people are naturally gifted at a sport i mean you just give them a bat and a ball and they're just incredible they don't need coaching you know i mean so everyone's got a gift, and, and once you find out what that gift is, it's your responsibility then to make sure that you follow it through to the best of your absolute ability. You know, I mean, some people can just naturally draw. So I mean, uh, Becky and Ilia, who have done the artwork for a lot of our films, I mean, they're they're incredible artists. You know, just amazing. Uh, I mean, I obviously I can't draw to save my life, but I mean. I think that, like, art is a great example because it can be refined, so you can can go to lessons and you can get it refined, but if you don't have that absolute talent underneath, you know, to start with, then you can't refine nothing because it's just not there to begin with, you know what I mean? And singing, I suppose singing is another good example. I mean, some people are naturally brilliant singers. I mean, they can refine that skill and make it better, but, I mean, there's some people I'm sure everybody's got a mate who who has gone to singing lessons and all that kind of stuff, and they're just never going to be any good. They they're just always going to be crap,
0: you know. But <laughs> that me <mate> is me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, me too, man. Me too, you know. But, but what's the, the old joke? I sing like an amputee. I can't hold a note and I can't carry a tune. You know, what I mean? that's <laughs> that, that's brilliant. That me. That's me, a hundred percent. And but I mean, so a skill can be refined, you know. But if unless you have that talent inside you then you know there's nothing there if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah it's got to be that almost that spark that first ignition to be able to sort of uh, add the kindling of talents onto it and with um, one thing as well i'll say with people if they're listening and they're kind of you know people umming and uhhing off should i do this should i do that that sort of jazz with me in podcasting like i didn't start podcasting for it to become a career or anything like that i mean it'd be lovely if it became that way um but my whole thing is like I do it because I enjoy it and I've gained just I've only been doing this for about a year and a half and I've just gained so many things from doing it talking to such incredibly interesting individuals that I would never speak to otherwise uh, yourself included and also I've met a lot of people along the way who are other podcasters who do other things and I've collaborated with or spoken with and they've become friends and I imagine with yourself and you've met so many interesting people just from going on this journey oh
1: 100% I mean well uh Ilya is probably i mentioned her a second ago uh so oh, about five years ago i had this idea because uh, i i did stand-up comedy when i first left high school i was doing stand-up comedy for a career so I, I i used to do this bit where i'd written a children's book but it was like completely inappropriate so it's called jimmy green and his adventures in the magic forest and so basically like jimmy green he, he's uh, he's uh, you know Hunting down the uh, the massive uh, pot plantation, right? So mm-hmm. uh, you know, but we make it sound all innocent, even though obviously we're meaning marijuana. And then you know, he's on the magic mushrooms because he finds some mushrooms, and then he sees the wicked witch who's a dominatrix, and then he sees Tinkles, the fairy, who gives him a shower, and all this sort of <laughs> thing. like it's just it's just. Then then he meets Bruce and Julian, the friendly wizards. You know, it's just it's completely inappropriate for children, obviously. And so I used to do that as as part of my stand-up act. And I thought to myself, uh, I was just having a bit of a think about what I should do next, you know, with Nuts Productions and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, why don't I turn the Jimmy Green story into a picture book and do, like, really hilarious, inappropriate pictures to go along with the words that I've written? So I contacted a whole bunch of artists and just none of them wanted anything to do with it. They're like, oh, no, I can't do this. Oh, no, 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 terribly doff. This is, this is, I've got a reputation to uphold and all this sort of bullshit. And so finally I came across Ilya and Ilya's the bomb and the coolest person ever. And so I, she read it. She thought it was really funny. And, and so I sat down with her and I told her exactly what I wanted for each picture. And, and she's gone, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no worries at all. Yeah, no, that's fine. And so we, we did this picture book together uh, and it's all available on the website. People can download it from the website. And it's one of the most favourite things I've ever done. And you're quite right. I mean, I would never have met Ilya in a million years if I hadn't have gone through all those different artists to get to her and uh, she hadn't have done this. Like she, She's just a talent beyond Ilya. She's just the most amazing woman. And the, the illustrations that she did for this picture book are just so hilariously inappropriate. It's just next level. It's just so great. It's better. You know how when you, you, you've you got an image in your mind and then she drew something and I'm like, oh my God, that's better than I even thought. You know, <laughs> like, so, so yeah, she she absolutely crushed it, but I would never have met Ilya if, if I hadn't have, uh, if I hadn't have started up Beanuts Productions and I hadn't have uh, done all of this uh, stuff that I've been doing. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's wonderful to meet uh, other creative people like that. It's a, it's a wonderful thing.
0: I was going to say, I mean, I saw um i saw the note on your on your site and then i think i watched the trailer on your youtube channel um and it shows um the trailer for the book and it shows some of the pictures she drew and it is absolutely fantastic so i definitely implore anyone to go and uh, check that out because some of them are they, they are hilarious as well and as well as being incredibly well done and yeah. it, it has been quite um obviously with yourself being legally blind it must be potentially in your mind you're thinking oh if i'm trying to explain this to someone it might be more difficult to kind of get exactly what i want but then as you can see absolutely. by her drawings they just nailed it on the head. You could see clearly that they are just all fantastic, very talented yeah, individual.
1: So, well, so, yeah, so so what happened, because, again, obviously my drawing is stick figures. I mean, I can't see, so automatically I'm at a disadvantage. So to the communication that she was able to pick up what I wanted, uh, also, like, she was right on my wavelength, because, I mean, uh, Ilya, she does lots of appropriate things, like, you know, professional-type art and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, she also does, for example, we've got a political party over here called the Australian Sex Party and she does all their advertising stuff, so all the artwork they need for their advertising. And, actually, when I first met her, uh, I said to her, you know, what are you currently working on? And she's like, oh, uh, this bikey uh, hired me to do stencil work of – because in Australia, uh, when you've got a swimming pool in your backyard – You've got to have it fenced off so kids can't get in there and drown. Obviously, so he's got a glass a, a glass fence around his pool, and he wanted her to do stencil work of nude chicks on the uh, on the glass fence. And so she was doing a painting, stencil painting on his fence of nude chicks. So uh, that was the job she was currently doing when i met her which is pretty cool
0: (laughs) yeah that's pretty interesting
1: so so she she didn't have an issue with the kind of stuff i was after so but yeah it uh so i sat down at a kitchen table and, and so i'm sort of drawing kind of stick figures of what i had in my mind of what i wanted and then she took them and just took it to a whole nother level and yeah so there's 20 pictures so 20 illustrations total and uh, obviously hopefully people find the words of the story humorous as well so they've got uh, the two things there that uh, hopefully would make them laugh when uh, when they read the book yeah
0: awesome yeah and i'm just i'm linking back to some of the uh, stand-up comedy you did in the past um when did you sort of you said you started doing that, I imagine, uh, when you came of, out of education and things. Um, do you still uh, dabble with that sort of thing? Or when nuts sort of uh, got more attention and things like that and you got sort of more drive towards it, have you now just kind of leaned off the the stand-up comedy and focused more on Bearnuts? Or do you still do a bit of both?
1: No, no, no. I haven't done a stand-up comedy routine actually since the film, pretty much since uh, 2010. So uh, a long time now. And, and I don't think I'd be able to do it again, not because I don't want to or I don't enjoy it. I mean – it was fabulous getting up on stage and making people laugh and hear that. It, it is quite addictive hearing, you know, the, the, the audience laugh and clap and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. I just don't think uh, I'd have the, the routine anymore in me. And, and in any case, uh, I, I the, it sounds kind of silly, but it was just what I was thinking back then was I thought to myself, cause you, it was at the time of like Mike Myers and Adam Sandler and Chris Farley were, stand-up comedians that then went into TV and film so I just assumed that was the done thing okay because I always wanted to be a filmmaker and a writer that's what I've wanted to do ever since I was a little kid so I was like oh okay well the way to do that is you do stand-up comedy and you get a name for yourself and then you can move into that and that's how I just assumed it worked I was wrong but that's that's (laughs) just as a kid you know as a 17 16 year old that's just what I assumed you had to do so that's what i did so uh yeah that that was that was the main motivation for actually getting into stand up well i mean i i enjoyed it obviously i really enjoyed it but the the motivation was to to get myself uh you know some kind of a, a name and then i'd be able to make my scripts because people would know who i was so i'd be able to get my scripts made and that was sort of my my logic behind why i did that so yeah
0: yeah, that, well, that makes um that makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily uh, know any better. I can't say I know much about um stand up comedy or anything like that, but that that does seem like the that would seem to make sense uh, looking at from an outside perspective um, i want to ask as well um in the other uh, podcast i listen to you um i think you mentioned something about uh, radio and it links in with the sort of you mentioned with your um the documentary you you edited it and things um how um the, the question on a lot of people's minds would be is if you were uh, if you're legally blind i know you do have some sight um how did the editing process go and uh, what sort of experience did you have in uh, editing uh, before making the documentary
1: yeah, so when I first left high school, I was doing stand up comedy at night, and my day job was working at a radio station as their audio producer making their commercials and promos. So it was, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it was great experience in regards to directing talent because the voiceover guy comes in. I got to tell him, here is the commercial, here's how the salesman comes in to me with the script and says, this is what I want. So then I have to tell the voiceover guy, this is how it needs to be read. So he's got to do it. and I've got to say, yep, that sounded great or whatever. And then I've got to edit it all up together. So I was doing editing and sort of directing, uh, you know, when I was 18, uh, doing uh, doing the radio commercials and promos and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'd had that experience. So when it came to doing the documentary editing, the good thing about a documentary, or the way at least most documentaries, is that it's predominantly talking heads. So there's no real action sequences or anything of that nature. So all I do is just pretend like it's a 90-minute radio commercial. So I just get the clips that I want, and it's just like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. I just put the clips in the order that I want them. So it, it really wasn't that difficult to edit. So what I would do is, uh, with that particular film, there's uh, interviews with 24 different experts in a range of fields. So I'd go out one day and... I'd interview them, come home, put the footage on the computer, and then I would go through the interview and I would rip out the, the answers to the questions that I liked. So let's say, for example, out of a half an hour interview, I'd rip out maybe four minutes, five minutes of quotes that I liked. So I'd put them to one side. And then when I had all the interviews done, I just went through and I put that quote there and that quote there and that quote there and that quote there and that's pretty much how i edited it so it was just all done by audio
0: that's, that's a, <clears throat> excuse me um, that's absolutely amazing and it is it's quite funny with the way um, kind of life goes sometimes where you know doing stand up comedy and audio editing um, both of those things and sort of the the directing side of this sort of um, audio commercials as you mentioned is like those both things culminate together to assist with you making beer nuts. Obviously you're writing your own material as the stand-up, you're performing in front of people. You have to kind of understand what does and doesn't land as a, as a joke. So you have to understand the comedy side of things. While also you had the directorial experience and the, or see the editing experience from one thing to another. And so it's, it's quite incredible that those two things early on set you up for beer nuts before beer nuts was even a, a thought.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, and you're a hundred percent correct. And the, the other thing too, which uh, I didn't think of, but uh, again, my script writing mentor when I was younger, when I would send him my scripts and he he would read them for me and send me notes back and stuff, he always said that I was really great at writing dialogue. So as you saw with the prostitution film, it's very dialogue heavy. And so he really enjoyed my dialogue. And I think the reason why I, I write dialogue heavy scripts is because, I've had a lifetime of listening to people. I can't see things like body language and facial expressions and all that kind of stuff. So tones and inflections and all that sort of stuff is how I pick up on different things. So I've had a lifetime of listening to people. So I pick up on how people speak and how people react and all that kind of stuff more than what others probably would. So then when it comes to writing a script like prostitution, the untold story, you know, I I take all the things that I've, I've heard and all the things that, I think are funny and work and all that sort of stuff, and turn it into a turn it into a script.
0: Mm. And um, with when it comes to sort of choosing the actors and that sort of thing with it, um, how does the sort of process go? Um, I assume as are the director, you're the individual who kind of uh, chooses these people. Um, how does that um, go about?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually <laughs> the uh, c- the talent agents here where I live kind of hate me because. <laughs> I'm like ultra, ultra fussy. See, I, I don't understand why more writer directors don't cast their own films. Cause when you write a script, you've got that. Well, I do at least I've got the image in, in my head uh, and the voice in my head of how that character looks, sounds, acts, feels, all that stuff. I, I, I can see them and hear them when, when I'm writing a script. So when I'm doing my castings, you know, I, I need to hear and see exactly what I've got in my head. So uh, what I will do is I, I do it just like any other casting session for any other film. So uh, in, in the radius of where I live, there's about 22 different uh, casting agencies. So I will send out uh, the brief. So, for example, we'll use the prostitution one because it's the most recent film I've done. So there's a husband and wife in there. So I said, oh, I, I, so the brief was reasonably open. I need a, a guy and a girl who are aged in their 30s uh who are really good comedic actors look isn't overly important so it's all about their their comedic acting ability because they've got a lot of work to do as you saw it's a they're in a very long scene and it's a very heavy scene so they've got a lot of work to do so uh i got a bunch of uh, submissions and then uh, i say out of those submissions i look through them closely and i i look at their show reels at the actors show reels and uh you know, read through their resume. I always do a Google search on them as well to see what what sort of people they might be like because, you know, I, I've got a Because we don't have a huge budget, I can't be hiring some kind of prima donna who's going to be a pain in the ass to work with. I've got to be careful about that kind of stuff. So we've only got a limited amount of time, so I need to make sure that the person's going to be really good to work with. So uh, let's say, for example, they email me 10 submissions. I'll probably say I want to see... Uh, two out of the 10 and so they'll come they'll audition just like uh, any actor would for any role they'll audition for me and uh, my auditions are very different it, it be, i don't get them to memorize just a section of the script as a normal actor would for a normal audition i actually read through the entire piece with them so an audition will go for about half an hour which is very different to a regular audition and then from that i can tell i don't give them any direction uh, for the simple reason is I want to see how they interpret the script to make sure that they, they get the jokes, because that's obviously key for me, to make sure they get the jokes, because if you get the joke, you can then deliver the joke. So uh, I, I sit down with them, we read through the script beginning to end, and then uh, the best person gets the role. And so it took uh, – I mean, actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, Rebecca, who plays the wife in the prostitution one, She came in and just hit that audition out of the park. What you see on the screen is pretty much what she did at the audition. Now, to find the male character, I mean, I've worked with Kale a lot before, but I I didn't get him in initially because he's a few years older than Rebecca is, and I wanted two people that were the same age. So I saw a whole bunch of male actors, and they just weren't doing it for me. So I finally I I emailed Kale and said, do you want to come in and try out for this role? He said, sure. And he came in, he did a fantastic audition, so he got the part. But the agents don't like me because I do say no a lot to them and they don't they don't like that so much. So uh, I'm really, really, really fussy with the cast and the casting process because it's so important to me to make sure that I have exactly the right people because it's like we said earlier, you know, the an audience can forgive a lot of things, but they can't forgive bad casting and bad acting. So it's really, really important to make sure that I get the right people.
0: Mm, yeah and it's obviously especially with a lot of comedy things it has to be believable you have to have that immersion and if the actors and the script are gold then everything else does fall quite far behind second you know if you're watching especially uh, the style of prostitution it's the mockumentary style so it's understanding that the cameras aren't going to be like this sort of radixi perfect hollywood shot it's going to be the cameras may not be absolutely spot-on perfect but that works in the favor of the comedy and the sort of the immersion of what you're watching so so as you say, with the um, and the actors and the uh, the script, it has to be top notch. And I think that with uh, prostitution, especially, you really hit that nail on the head. Um, with your production team and things, do you have, uh, I, I know you mentioned, I think it was Simon, uh, one of the people who works with you. Do you have like a sort of production team that you use or is there, do you interchange them? Uh, I wonder what that's about and that's the end of part one thanks as always for tuning in guys um, part two of my chat with Goff will be released next week and we continue talking about his journey as a filmmaker and some of the challenges involved um, we also talk about the crew that he has and how he needs a crew to sort of understand his vision um, as well as the amazing New Zealand director Takei Watiti and we talk about the importance of exercise why comedy is Goff's favourite genre and many other things so if you enjoyed part one of this chat I'm sure you'll find part two as equally fruitful As I said in the intro, um, in a couple of weeks' time, so I think at the week after um, this part two of Goth has been released, I'm going to be releasing one of my chats with um, the Church of Satan Magister. Um So essentially we talk about the Church of Satan, a lot of misconceptions behind it, um, that it's not about sacrificing goats or anything crazy like that. They're generally a secular religion, so they don't actually worship a deity or anything like that. But it's a really interesting chat. Uh, and then the week after that, I am, or the week after that will be part two of that chat. Then the week after that is going to be the 50th episode i think i'm going to be releasing the episode that i've recorded with beth crane of we fix space junk but i haven't fully decided yet we'll kind of see because i've got a couple more skype ones uh, lined up that's more or less it for now guys um thanks as always for everyone for tuning in um any itunes reviews um shares on any of the social media things or just any word of mouth spreading is always appreciated if you know anyone who may find any part of the show interesting, you know, be it this episode specifically or any of the other episodes I've done with other guests, send them a link, see what they think. You know, can't really hurt and you may get more people into my show, which means eventually you can kind of get bigger and kind of go from there really. But anyway, thanks as always for tuning in, guys. I'm going to finish up editing and go to sleep because it's currently quarter to midnight on a Sunday. So (laughs) sorry for the slightly later release than usual. Uh, I suppose it's only by like an hour or so. So it's not the end of the world, I guess, but you know, I'm going to head off now because otherwise I'm going to just ramble and rant for this entire outro and it's going to be far longer than it needs to be. So, you know, thanks as always for tuning in guys. I appreciate each and every one of you and I'll talk to you all next week.